Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, Redeemer. As Adam said in the video this morning, we have started a capital campaign, and I wanted to take a minute or two to add my two cents about this campaign. Redeemer is a special place. We all know this. And I've never been to a church that not only has dynamic worship, but also does corporate confession. A church that sings songs that you'll hear later on K-Love today, as well as hymns that have been leading the church for centuries. A church that has a dynamic small group ministry, but also has a strong Sunday school program. We are a uniquely nuanced place. A place that learns from and celebrates the past, but continues to be focused on passing our faith to our children and to our children's children. Friends, Redeemer is the type of place that should be cherished for generations. Collectively, we have the opportunity to cement our legacy as a 100-plus-year church. And one giant step towards accomplishing that would be to pay off our building. But what I think is so special about the way that Redeemer runs campaigns is that we don't just raise money for ourselves. We also raise money for mission. We did this in the Unfinished campaign, and we're doing this in the Made for More campaign. So if you haven't already, let me encourage you to pick up a pledge card. They're right at the connect point if you go out these doors and to the right, and take a few minutes to fill it out together we can ensure that not only will Redeemer outlive us, but that 60 years from now, there will be a place of worship which honors not only tradition, but is also faithful in its mission to the community. I promise the generations to come need such a place. Well, this morning, we are continuing on in week three of our foundation series, And today we will be talking about the covenant affirmation of the necessity of new birth. The language of new birth comes to us from a conversation that Jesus has with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And that story can be found in John chapter 3 verses 1 to 18. So I'm going to invite you to turn there in your Bible or your Bible app. And as you're finding the story, let me provide a little bit of context. By this point in the book of John, John has already offered a brilliant introduction of who Jesus is, saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him everything was made. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In John 2, John the Baptist testifies about Jesus, calling him the Son of God. Then Jesus performs his first miracle by turning water into wine. And later he flips over some tables in the temple because of all of the corruption he sees. Don't worry, these two events are clearly separated by a few days. The one does not cause the other. Some of you are going to think about that for a while and you'll come back to me. 
It was several days after the wedding. Um, Now, a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus comes to talk to Jesus in the shadows of the night. I'll read the story for us. It's John chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless if they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So let's talk about some of the dynamics of this conversation for a couple of minutes. First, Nicodemus is clearly intrigued by Jesus. And he highlights the fact that Jesus is doing something special. He's doing something unique and that God must be the one empowering his ministry. It's the only thing that makes sense to Nicodemus. Normal people don't do the sorts of things that Jesus was doing. Nevertheless, Nicodemus still does not want to be associated with Jesus. So he goes to Jesus in the covering of night to have this conversation. And right after Nicodemus compliments Jesus, Jesus redirects the whole conversation. So here's what Nicodemus said. Listen again. We know you are a teacher who comes for God, from God, for no one could perform the signs you do if God were not with him. And here Jesus takes a hard right turn. Jesus says this. No one can see the kingdom of God unless if they are born again. Unless if they are born again. Again, new birth. That's such a perplexing and abstract statement, isn't it? Nicodemus is clearly confused by it. He asked Jesus in the conversation twice, how can this happen? But I also think that if we're honest, it's confusing and perplexing to us too. And did you notice we read through 18 verses there And Jesus never directly answers Nicodemus' question. 
Maybe in the course of the real conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, he does. And John just didn't record for us exactly how Jesus went into detail. In any case, to elaborate on the story, John, who's recording this stuff for us, gives us one of the most popular verses, perhaps, in all of the Bible, saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So using John 3.16, let's answer Nicodemus's question together. How can a person experience new birth? It's a three-step process, of course. I would have it no other way. There are three steps. Experiencing God's love, love God back, love your neighbor. Experience God's love, love God back, love your neighbor. These first two steps are really what's crucial or critical to new birth. And this last step is kind of the litmus test or our understanding or our um, way to know that we truly have been born again or experiencing new birth. So let's look at experiencing God's love a little bit closer. I don't think that it's an accident that when John provides commentary to this conversation Nicodemus has with Jesus, that he focuses on, for God so loved the world, that John focuses on this language of love. I really believe that God's love is the most important part of answering Nicodemus's question. And about eight years ago, I was in a ministry context that was pretty toxic. I was also in seminary full-time while I was working full-time. In case you're wondering, it's not really a good plan. It's not done a lot, and there's a reason for that. And I was experiencing burnout, and I was starting to ask a lot of big questions in my exhaustion and wondering, is ministry really even for me long-term? Is this something that God's really calling me to? And I was starting to get into my head and feeling really beat up about it. And then I was invited to this backyard barbecue, right? And God works in some mysterious ways in our lives. And I'm invited into this backyard barbecue from a church member. uh, And we go, and she has invited someone who is doing tree work in their backyard. And for whatever reason, he felt compelled that he needs to go to this barbecue. And so he goes too. And I remember we're about an hour or so in and I'm sitting on a bench outside in the back and this guy that I don't know walks up to me and sits down. And he tells me, I've been wrestling with coming over to talk to you for about an hour. I feel like God has something he wants me to tell you. And if you knew anything about my background, you'd know there's some suspicion already in me. And I think immediately, all right, here we go. This should be interesting. Let's see what happens from here. And then the next thing, it's like he had this capacity to peer into my soul, which was just so haunting. And he said, you know, I get the sense that you are really discouraged, really discouraged, like you want to quit. He said, I don't know what you do for a living, and I don't know if any of this is making sense to you or not. And I said, uh, yeah, kind of tracking. I'm, I'm with you. And then I'm, now I'm intrigued, right? Because I'm going, what is it that you have for me? Because you're, you're speaking into my life in such a way that anytime somebody else has said, God has this message for you, it's never worked out quite like this. And so he sits down and he speaks to me some of the most 
beautiful words I've ever heard. And he says, God has told me to tell you that he loves you. He loves you. Not because of the things that you do, not because of how hard you're trying, but because he's your son. He loves you. And maybe you're going through something this morning that's pretty challenging or difficult. Maybe you feel spiritually dry or just beat up. Maybe you feel really far away from God for some reason. Can I just be that person for you this morning? Can I tell you that God loves you? He loves you. Not because of what you can do for him, not because of your capacity, but because you are his child, that he formed you intimately, and we'll get to that in a minute, but because of who you are, he loves you. And let me share some scriptures with you this morning that make me absolutely certain of this truth. First, the Bible says that you were created in God's image. This is what it says in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God is pretty creative, wouldn't you say? God is pretty creative, wouldn't you say? Perfect. Thanks for not making me sound like a broken record there. He's pretty creative. Yet instead of making his masterpiece creation the thing around which he is most proud, something very fascinating and unique, like a platypus. Have y'all ever seen one of these things? It's like the compilation of a million different body parts put on one animal. He doesn't do that with humans. We are the only thing fashioned like something else. Did God run out of creativity? I don't think so. Did he get tired? Was he overwhelmed? I, I don't think so. So what happened here? Well, he made you like him because he wanted to clothe you in the most beautiful way that he knew how. And that was to make something like himself, to make you in his image. Psalm 139 tells us that he knit us together in our mother's womb, in that secret place. He was intimately involved in this process. It does not happen by accident, so much so that Luke 12 tells us that the very hairs on our head are numbered. It's not that he, doesn't, he knows the amount of hairs that we have. They're numbered. So he knows when hair number 1,312 has fallen to the ground. He knows you this well. And if we ever find ourselves lost in life, here's what God's promised us. In Ezekiel 34, these are powerful words. They hit me like a freight train when I read them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. 
And if all of that is not proof enough, you can cycle back to John 3.16 and realize that God loved you so much that he did not even withhold his only son from you so that you could go draw nearer to him. That is an amazing love. Friends, you are loved more than you could ever fathom or imagine by the most important being in the universe. Now, I have a question for you. When you love something, when you love something, what do you want in return? What do you want in return? You want to be loved back, right? You want that love to return. And that's to be our response to God's love, to love God back. Another question for you. Did you know that Jesus cares more about your heart than he does about your actions? Did you know this? He cares more about your heart than he does about your actions. He's not expecting you to be perfect. You can't be. And he's already solved our imperfection problem in Christ. He's not expecting you to be perfect. When I was a youth pastor, I couldn't tell you the amount of conversations that I had with parents wanting me to fix their child's behavior. It happened all the time. They wanted me to teach them to be a good Christian, whatever that meant to them. And the conversations weren't always this black and white, mind you. But this was the general gist of the conversation. Make sure my kid is a good Christian. Make sure they know not to drink. Make sure they know not to do drugs. Make sure they're not promiscuous. All of these things. And I would always disappoint them. I tell them, of course, we're going to talk about these things. But I'm after something so much more important. I'm after their precious heart. I want them to fall head over heels in love with Christ. Because he cares far more about their heart than he cares about their actions. Hear this. When we focus on fixing our actions instead of in falling in love, It's as if we're trying to put out a fire by getting rid of the smoke. I'm going to say that again so that this sinks in. If we focus on fixing our actions instead of on falling in love, it's as if we're trying to put out a fire by getting rid of the smoke. It's just never going to happen. It will not work. If you don't believe me, listen to this New Testament scholar who also was one of my professors. His name is Rodney Whitaker. He was commenting on the passage that we just read. Here's what he said. Even though one may be virtuous and have the scriptures of God, it is still possible to be alienated from God and close to him. No matter how good their deeds appeared to be, these deeds separated them from God. And therefore, their deeds were evil. This evil is the pride and satisfaction of religious people who think they know God and yet are far from him. So if God is not looking for a bunch of religious people, but is after our hearts, what's to be our response? What do we do? I think King David in Psalm 51 has the perfect response for us. I think the response is that we ask for God's help. We recognize where our limitation is, 
and then where God can pick up the slack for us. And here's what David says. Here's what he prayed in Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. I want to invite you to consider starting every day with this prayer, letting it shape how your day unfolds. It's a daily self-submission. It's a daily recognition of God's love and that in front of that holy, righteous God, this all-loving God, that we can't get our actions to measure up, that we can just pray on our hands and knees, Father, you need to create this new heart in me. Only you, only you can take my heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. So consider starting every morning with that prayer. And finally, the last step in this process, the last part, how we know that we can have really settled into new birth, how we can know that not only have we experienced God's love for us, but that we're returning love to him, is if we love our neighbor. Part of being born again or the litmus test of knowing that we're born again, as Paul would put it, is becoming a new creation. In other words, we become far less preoccupied with ourselves and far more preoccupied with others. And that's part of how we know that we have truly accepted love. When we receive love, the most natural thing for us to do is to give love back. And if we're not giving love back, if we're not pouring love out of our heart, it means that we haven't taken enough love in. And I promise you, the Father's love is never going to run out for you. So drink just a little bit deeper so that you can pour out just a little bit more. A heart that has truly received love is compelled to show love. So who is your neighbor? In our age of modern technology, your neighbor for the first time can be around the world. And that's part of the reason why we're so passionate about this campaign, by the way, is that we want to do mission work around the world so we can impact our neighbors around the world. But more precisely, our neighbors are the ones that have proximity to us. They're close to us. They're our families, our friends, our coworkers. Our literal neighbors, who knew our neighbor could be our neighbor. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know who they are? It's a fantastic starting place. This morning, I invite you to think about how God is calling you to love on your neighbor. And which neighbor? And today, to start developing some steps before you leave this morning, that you're taking from here and to pour out on your neighbor. And that first step realistically could be as easy as this. Getting your love bank filled up by God's unendless streams of love. Maybe you're running on empty today. Maybe you're feeling far from him. Maybe you're tired. 
and you just don't have enough, then step one is hooking up, syncing up with that beautiful advocate, the Holy Spirit, and sitting down with God's word and some contemplative prayer and just being refilled by the endless stream of love that is your creator. Let's close in prayer. Oh, holy God, just, righteous, and true, we stand in awe that despite our sin, despite our imperfections, despite our warring against you, despite our running away from you, despite our lack of acknowledging you, You have known all of this. You've seen it all. You stand outside of time. You're not surprised by our actions. And because of that, we're never disappointing you. We don't have to run. We don't have to hide. We don't have to cover ourselves up. Lord, help us to run back into your loving embrace and to an experience, a newness of this love, which has really been there since the very beginning. Lord, move in us in such a way that we are so compelled to run into your arms and to tell everybody about it because it's the best thing that's ever happened to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.